everybody, this is Cynthia Barnes back with another episode of Unstoppable. And today is a special day because I get to speak with one of our incredible sponsors. Blend has been a sponsor of NAWSP for about two years now. And I have the pleasure of speaking with Ulysses Smith. And we're going to talk about their commitment to advancing women in sales, his commitment to diversity, inclusion, and belonging. And speaking of which, that is his official title, Diversity, Inclusion, and Belonging Director at Blend. Ulysses, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing well. You know, we're in some topsy-turvy times, and I think we're on the outskirts of that. So I think things are getting better. Let's hope. You know, I have some travel books. I'm or, thinking about going home to Florida. You get on a plane again. That's scary. But we're well, getting back out there. We are getting back out there. So hopefully when you're in Florida, you can dip your toes in the sand and have a drink with the umbrella in it or something, <laughs> something lovely. <laughs> Probably won't leave the house, but I'm going to take that either way. (laughs) (laughs) So let's talk about, first of all, let's talk about you. How did you get to your current role? Oh, gosh, that's an interesting. I took a very different journey than I think most people would expect because my background actually was in architecture and city planning work. And once I discovered that I was not good at the architecture piece <laughs> um, and really, really did not have the design bone in my body, um, I really started focusing on city planning processes, really thinking about participatory governance models, really, really focusing on how do people get access, gain access to the venues where decisions are being made that really impact their lives or the trajectory of their communities, right? And so it's everything, it's things that seem very simple, like road layouts or, you know, where bus stops are placed, things like that can be, you can have very participatory processes. And in going through that, I started uncovering, you started uncovering all these different policy processes and, and regulations that had been in place that really had terrible impacts on marginalized communities in particular. And I think I just became a very loud person in this space, to be honest, and somehow was offered a, a job at Cornell to, <laughs> to lead a lot of the diversity efforts there for a while, essentially. Uh, and, you know, from that place, I ended up opening my own private consulting firm, started working with a bunch of clients in New York State, as well as I started picking up clients in the Bay Area, and the, which prompted my move out to California, ultimately, and got to work at a few fun places before taking and consult for a few fun places before taking a, an in-house role at a couple startups and then at some point in late 2018, I want to say, Blend, Blend did all the, the outreach and the poaching. And somehow, some way, I, I managed to take a short nap and then start in 2019. <laughs> and I've, I've been at Blend ever since and, and could not be happier. That is an amazing story. And I love the trajectory from helping margin. And what I hear from your, your past is, and I'm thinking of, is the bus system in some of the cities that I've lived in. If you can't get to work because the bus system is on, isn't on time or it doesn't run on a regular basis, then you can't keep your job, you right. can't get paid, and you can't s- supply enough money for your family. So it has a trickle-down yeah. effect. So when we talk about standing up for the underrepresented in those marginalized communities, talk about how your work at Blend reflects your past. You know, Blend has been one of those places that has been gracious enough to accept <laughs> me and my philosophy and approach to this work. I'm probably somebody who, is a, as a practitioner in this space, is, 
I, I, it's fundamentally different than many of my my colleagues and peers in this space. They're just beliefs I don't hold. I, I don't I don't believe that these roles should be in HR. I, they just by default they should not. I, I don't believe these roles should not have absolute partnership and full integration in other parts of the business, especially when we think about the impact on product or the good or service that you're putting out into the market and what that means. It's reflected in sales strategies, right? When we talk about that insofar as, well, what percentage is, what are the profiles of our customers, of the, of the financial institutions that we're serving? Are they minority depository institutions? Are they community development financial institutions, right? So that's just, it's a fundamentally different approach. I also don't believe that these functions have to only be cost centers. Right, which is probably going to be a wild departure from most places, but I, I just don't believe that we can't be revenue generating centers of excellence if we actually choose to be innovative in these spaces. So, you know, these are these don't have to be HR centric places. So Blend has allowed me to really build out a function that looks very different um, than most other places that I've worked at or consulted for to be able to do that. And so that commitment that we have to DEI work and DIB or diversity, inclusion and belonging goes well beyond kind of the typical HR sphere of influence where absolutely we work very closely with our people ops team and those partners on fair processes and making sure we are removing any arbitrary barriers to workforce participation and really investing in our talent, both professionally and personally. But beyond that, right, we're also thinking about what are the specific features that we can do discovery around and build into the platform itself that will drive more equitable outcomes for marginalized or underbanked or unbanked populations. But that's a very different conversation than what most other organizations, than the ones that most other organizations have. And so, you know, I'm, I'm really grateful that I have a great team who's really been doing a ton more of the work these days than I have, uh, frankly, who's just been able to, to come into Blend, hit the ground running and really help us continue to build out this center of excellence. So that's been really exciting for me. And Blend, you know, they, they call me back, so it's their fault at this point. <laughs> <laughs> but what you're doing is working. That thinking outside the box, thinking through a lens or looking through a lens that is fresher, daring to challenge that status quo, that is actually working. And you said something just a second ago that I think we need to, to, to tap on just a little bit. Your clients are looking at your representation, your staff representation, and determining whether or not they want to do business with you. And a lot of companies don't get that. They, yeah. they subscribe to the model that we're going to keep everything the way that it is. Forgetting that your clients or prospects are going to look at your diversity and determine whether or not it is actually diverse before they do business with you. Absolutely. Have you thought about that? All the time, all the time. You know, this is this is what I'm. I'm really big on public social accountability, and so you know, following in you know the trends of many many federal contractors and everybody else over the years, the last few decades, who have released their numbers and reports, and you've seen in the tech industry that only started in 2014-ish, but we've published for at least since I've been at Blend the last couple of years. We've publicly published our representation data. We've published a regular annual report to go along with it to show the world and show anybody who cares to look both prospective candidates, clients, and, and prospective customers, partners who are looking at, at working with us and getting into this equitable ecosystem along with us. So they know this is who we are. These are our beliefs around, around DIB. 
but this is what our workforce looks like. Right. And here and we we're very, very frank, very clear about the areas where we can improve. And we're very clear about places where we found a lot of success. And I think you're absolutely right that people forget that clients especially do look at your workforce representation, especially because, remember, we don't sell directly to individual customers at Blend. We sell to banks, credit unions, other financial institutions, independent mortgage banks, et cetera. And these institutions often will send in these kind of RFPs and we'll have to fill them out. Um, because they explicitly ask about our workforce data, our workforce representation, because they have their own supplier diversity programs and they're mm-hmm. taking on blend as a vendor. And so they have to know what's the makeup of our workforce. You know, are we a minority run or a minority owned business? What does, you know, what's our gender representation like? Because that they want to do responsible business. And we're increasingly seeing in the public sector, if you're looking at companies, there's a, been a ton of articles as of late that have really been talking about the impact that a lot of environmental, social, and governance work has had on investment portfolios for a lot of people. And so you're seeing a lot of companies really start to invest in ESG functions, which include a lot of the diversity and inclusion work, because that is part of your human capital investments. It's part of you know making sure there are fair labor practices in your organization and that you really are investing in talent from all backgrounds. And that's something that I, I would love to see more organizations really get behind and think about intentionally as opposed to just doing the performance of, you know, we're going to all of a sudden find this one partnership and it's going to it's going to magically change the entire landscape of our workforce without us actually investing in that talent and doing the work. Partnerships are intentional and it, yes. in creating a diverse workforce is incredibly intentional. Right? It's not just, you know, you, you build it and they will come. You have to build responsible and intentional and sincere relationships with communities. And what I've told people about Blend over the last couple of years is we have the added benefit of not being a large legacy tech company at this point. Most people don't know what Blend is, don't know who Blend is, don't know what we do. And I guarantee you, we actually went to a conference once and we had branded cookies on the table and as, people, as candidates and people were getting to know us. And I, I promise you, the majority of people thought we were a cannabis company for the longest time. And we had to actually explain as we're at this organization, <laughs> as we're at this conference, we're not a cannabis company, they're great, but we are, we actually are in the mortgage space, we're in banking. So, so it's not the same thing, but that's, but that's a good position to be in. When you get to introduce yourself as a responsible partner and you're not in the business at this point of repairing, actively trying to repair relationships with communities yes. because you've broken that trust. And so right. I'm, I'm grateful that we're at this place and we continue um, with the work that the folks on my team do in forming, or in forming a lot of these partnerships, that we're continuing to do that in a way that makes sense, not only for those communities and those organizations, but also for Blend itself. Yes. When we talk about intentionality, I'm guessing that the belonging piece rather than equity is intentional. Yeah, absolutely. Tell me why. So... I will say our, our strategy itself is based on a foundation of equity, right? We want to make sure mm-hmm. we're giving people the individual resources they need to be their most successful selves at Blend when they come to the office and beyond. We also don't hold this belief that people must hide certain parts of themselves in order to come to work and do their best work, right? Mm-hmm. And when we talk about the concept of belonging, it differs from inclusion because inclusion is really the perspective of the organization about its climate, right? How well have we as an organization created a climate where we are leveraging difference or leveraging diversity for the benefit of our workforce's personal, professional, social development, but as well as for the development of our product? Belonging 
on the other hand, is the perspective of the individual, of the individual member of Blendkind, who says, when I walk into Blend, I, I feel like I am a valued and essential part of the team. I feel like my team trusts me. I feel like the work is fulfilling and I'm constantly being challenged. I have a very clear line of sight from the work that I'm doing every day all the way up through the mission of the organization, right? And I also am treated and respected both interpersonally and economically, meaning that I am valued for all of who I am and I don't have to hide any parts of that, but I'm also paid and compensated fairly the same in comparison to my peers for doing the same work because the organization values the work that I do, right? And that's that feeling of belonging. So when people do these engagement surveys and things like that, that's actually what we're measuring. That's how we measure those factors. And it takes a lot of intentional work to create that environment. And it's even harder to maintain. And people, I don't want people to hear belonging and think that it means there's no conflict. Quite the opposite. When, you're in, when you have a diverse workforce, diverse perspectives are, should be expected, right? That's the point. Right? And that means there is going to be some tension sometimes, some conflict. But the point is, have we actually invested enough in our workforce? Have we created an environment where people can actually disagree, have dialogue, ultimately get to a place of shared understanding and get us to better outcomes? Because that's the beauty of a diverse workforce. That's the point is when we're when we have conflict, that means we're being challenged. We don't we're not subject to just a singular perspective. Somebody is teaching us something in this moment, uncomfortable, though it may be sometimes. Mm -hmm. Right. And at Blend, we've done a very good job of getting folks to really lean into some of these uncomfortable conversations. We've had many open open dialogues about race, uh, particularly in the financial services sector. We've talked about Blend's place in this very explicitly. We've also talked about a, a variety of, of other issues ranging from disability and that impact on homeownership. We've talked about the black-white homeownership gap. We've really dug in here. But at the same time, we've created support spaces for people. We've made sure that people know that we're investing in them constantly. And we actually want to see them succeed, whether they're at blend or not, right? And so what I, what I try to get people away from is this, this very myopic view of retention being that the whole point is just to keep people at the organization, which I don't think should be anybody's goal. It, you know, it's great. I would love if you stayed, right? Especially to reduce costs for a lot of organizations. I know that's the goal and the reason. But what's more important is that you retain an experience and a skill set. And I would love for people to have come to Blend and really leave here saying, wow, you know, I feel like Blend prepared me for this next role because they really invested in my development here. They gave me skills and opportunities that I probably would not have ever had. I, I, I will always remember how they treated me when I was at Blend. And that's the feeling I want to carry to my next organization or to my next role. That's the culture I want to replicate or create on the next team I'm on. Like, that's what I want people to retain. I, I don't want people to just stay because they feel like it or they feel like they have to or there's some golden handcuffs. I want you to be, be successful wherever you want to be. And that's the mentality we've talked about. We've long talked about creating a place where people can be from. And, you know, that's, that's a very different mentality than a lot of other organizations. I mean, we've all had, a, had one organization where we've, we've whispered under our breath that we work there <laughs> a couple times, right? And, yes. you know, and people say, oh, that place. Uh, but we don't want yeah. to be that place for anybody, right? And, and I hope we are not. Along the lines of intentionality, again, that word keeps sticking with me. You are intentional about change. You are intentional about making sure that the space that you occupy is not just encompassing you. Yeah. Where did you get that from? <laughs> Your guess is as good as mine. I don't know, you know, part of it, I should say, I don't know, but you know, I think for me, 
I, I remember pretty vividly when I left the U.S. and lived in Italy for a little while. And the feeling when I stepped off the plane for the first time. And, you know, at that point in my life, I was, you know, probably really stepping into my own identity as a, as a gay black man in particular. I was, you know, away from home for the first time, really on my own living. I had a whole different identity in Italy, let me tell you. But really just feeling appreciated for who I was. And it, though every country has its own issues with, with race and those dynamics, to be fair, it was, it was dramatically different. My treatment was dramatically different than what it was like in the United States. And I remember coming back to the U.S. and, you know, it was very different. And no, no longer were people offering to carry my bags and all that stuff. It was like, carry your own bags, do whatever. Right. But for me, it was just like, I don't want people to, you know, once you have a taste of inclusion, it's very hard to go back to not being included. And I, I don't want people to show up wherever I'm working and feel like they're not active participants in creating this culture, that they are going to be actively excluded from this. But beyond that, it also means that we have to mobilize and push for change because that's what it takes to make sure people are actually included. It's an uncomfortable reality in the context of the United States that we have many laws, past and present, we have many institutions, right, past and present, that were by design meant to exclude certain populations. And I know it, it seems like we can pass one law and outlaw discrimination or outlaw certain behaviors and then it goes away, but that's not how it happens, right? That's not how it happens. Those institutions were built over decades, right? Mm -hmm. And so the repair work that it takes to make sure people are, are able to fully participate again in all activities is dramatic, right? It's a, and sometimes, to be honest, it feels sometimes insurmountable. We've been, we give all new hires as part of their welcome package, a copy of The Color of Money by Marissa Baradaran. And it's, it really is this look, particularly at the perspective of, through the perspective of black banks, black owned banks in particular, but it really unpacks a lot of the institutional and structural challenges that still remain in the financial services sector, right? That, and it just, if you think about and unpack the, the $5 trillion in lost GDP, just from the exclusion of black Americans alone, right? That's really hard to cope with. That's a really difficult number to sit with. And at Blend, we have to say, we, though we may be a small organization or smaller slice of this broader financial services ecosystem, we still power we have very strong partnerships with our customers, with these banks. We are the tech stack for these banks. We could, we could really power better outcomes for other populations. And so we have to be, again, intentional in creating that change. We have to have those uncomfortable conversations, figure out what our place and our position is here, what our agency is in making those changes and actually push for them and even build coalitions to bring other people along with us whether that's government agencies or regulatory bodies, as well as our customers who really are these big banks who actually really do have a lot of agency to make these changes. And I'm, I'm grateful and you know, humbled that people, especially over this last year, because you know, 2020 was a bit of an awakening for a lot of people, but we've been really humbled to see so many banks really getting on board with what we've been trying to do and really leaning into this conversation. And that's really what it's gonna to take to drive that change. And so, you know, whether I'm in higher ed like I used to be, in gaming like I used to be, or now in this confluence of uh, housing and financial services where I'm peeling back all these layers of this very complicated and, and slightly disheartening onion sometimes, that's the change I want to see. 
that's ultimately the change I want to see because I would love for everybody to feel like they again are that valued and essential part of the team when they come here and that everybody has the opportunity to advance economically and otherwise. Opportunity and I would say duty. Yeah. I think a lot of us forget how powerful we are. And, and you know that old expression, think about the gnat, think about a gnat and it really doesn't have any impact until you put it in a closed tent and yeah. it's driving you nuts the entire night. We <laughs> all can make an impact. And I love what you, you stand for because you know that you can make an impact. So when you, Ulysses Smith, think about the impact that you're going to make for seven generations to come, what is the one thing that you want to say, you know what, my days on earth are over, but I was able to do this. What is that one thing? You know, I've never really longed to be famous and my team knows I'm notorious for trying to pawn off um, <laughs> panels and talks and things to them because I'm like, I really, I've, I'm an introvert by default. And I really don't care to be in the spotlight. My long-term goal, a lot of people don't know this, my long-term goal is actually to be a federal judge. I have, I have no desire to stay in this space for forever. I, I want to, you know, bench by 40 is my goal. So I, that's where I want to be because that's where I feel like I can affect the most change. And, and I really have a passion behind the law and really thinking about institutions and, and that interpretation of the law is so important. It's so critical. And I think mm -hmm. we're even seeing that as of late. I think, honestly, my the only impact I want to have in the world is just something positive. I, I, I don't, it, you know, I just want to just want to do something positive. And so if I have to be famous or remembered for something, I just pray that it's something positive and nobody remember me for being the shady person or being a little petty every now and again, because I definitely am. But the clapback is real sometimes. But I, I really just I just want to do something positive. If people feel like I have somehow impacted them or made them feel in some way that they have been valued by somebody, right, then I'm, I feel like that's a, a life well lived, a life well lived yes. for me. Yes. I love that. I'm a huge believer in what we put out into the universe comes back to us. So when you think about the bench by 40, who do you need to meet to get there? Oh, who do I not need to meet these days? <laughs> I have an extensive network, which I'm grateful for, and I have probably not leveraged the best way I can all the time, which I, I know you in, in the work that you do, you really do teach that to a lot of people and push that. Okay, I need to take the guidance, but you know, folks have offered to introduce me to relatives and family members who are sitting judges or retired judges really to understand kind of that dynamic. I've spoken to many a professor in, in my day but when I was in academia still, and, and actually beyond that, even at Lent, I've spoken to, to folks in academia who are still either teaching law or who are teaching public policy work just to really get a sense of, you know, what's my place here? Is this, a, is this something that, is this a place where you see that I could belong or I could make a difference? Am I coming in a little too bright-eyed here? Do I need to go figure out how the world really works before I step into this space? But there are a ton of people I would I'd need to meet, lawyers included. So, and even beyond that, you know, even, dare I say, politicians. I know that's a touchy subject right now, but <laughs> politicians for sure, because ultimately, you know, when you think about it, you know, most judges are either federal judges are appointed in some jurisdictions. If I wanted to be a state judge or something like that, you know, those in some cases, those are elected. And so depending on where I choose to ultimately practice first, I would assume I'm probably going to be a federal judge first. I got to earn my stripes. It would be great to, to touch base with some folks in whatever that relevant jurisdiction is. 
Okay. Well, you know, a close mouth doesn't get fed, as they say in the South. So you hey, got to put it out there. Come on now. <laughs> you got to put it out there. You know, the Floridian and me, North Florida. Okay, Duval County, Jacksonville. Okay, <laughs> Jacksonville, Florida. Duval. I, I'm here for a good Southern idiom. <laughs> yes, good. yes. My daddy's from the South. I got a whole bunch of them. So stay tuned. I may throw another couple out there. <laughs> but somebody asked me that and they said, who do you need to meet? And without a, a beat, I said, Oprah. I oh. need to meet Oprah. Yes. So I'm putting it out there. So every time I have a podcast or I do some kind of shout out, somebody knows somebody who knows somebody who knows Oprah. Yes. 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 Claim so when, when on, on, on Facebook, when you see Oprah Winfrey is live at 11 o'clock and you go on live on Facebook and you see Oprah on the right on her couch and you see somebody over on the left, it will be me. Yes. 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 I declare it. I'm here for it all day. Yes. Yes, I'm going to be on the left-hand side until Oprah wants to switch sides. Yeah, and I'm, I'm going to just, re- just remember that you knew little old me and I, <laughs> back in the day. So you can get me there, too. I was really upset when Oprah canceled her show. And I was like, oh, my dreams of being on the Oprah Winfrey show are, are dashed. <laughs> so. it, it's it's all good because Oprah's going to be on Unstoppable with Cynthia Barnes. And, and it's all good. I got there you. There we go. There we go. And, but the, the yeah. good thing is I can say I was here before Oprah. Okay, I was on Unstoppable with Cynthia Barnes before Oprah was. So that's going to be my claim to fame. So Oprah needs to meet me. How about that? (laughs) (laughs) There we go. Let's put it out there. Let's put it out there. Yes. If I were to ask you to complete the following sentence in the beginning of your career, I want you to fill in the blank for me. I am what? Beginning of your career. Naive. (laughs) Naive. I have a ton of words, actually. (laughs) What makes you say naive? I honestly, I don't know if it was blissful ignorance, willful ignorance even, but I was was somebody, I I refuse to believe, and I still hold this belief, to be fair. I I don't believe that people are inherently bad. I I don't believe that. You know, that's learned behavior. That's stuff that's taught. Mm -hmm. I do think I was, I was naive to a lot of the actual structural and institutional barriers that were in place for so many people, because that was just not something, you know, I, my mother never, you know, yes, we had some uncomfortable conversations about how the world may treat me, but it was never, I was never taught that I couldn't be what I wanted to be, that I Mm -hmm. couldn't achieve any goals that I set. And I appreciate that with everything, because I think that really had, that really shaped my drive because uh, I'm a mover and shaker. Like, we can get a lot done in 15 minutes, trust me. Yes. So, like, I love, to, I love to keep things moving. At the same time, I don't think I fully appreciated the extent of the challenges that were ahead of me and ahead of others. But that actually has informed my work. So I, I don't think it's a, a terrible thing, but, but I, I know naive sounds like a terrible adjective, but for sure, early in my career, I just really didn't know. It, it just totally naive, totally naive. But thank, I, thankful I, for the growth. Yes. And, I, and to some extent, the, the naivete is refreshing because you don't go into situations with preconceived notions, those self-limiting beliefs. That naivete can get us to think, you know what, I can accomplish anything until an opposing force lets us know otherwise. Yeah. So today, if I asked you to complete the sentence, I am what? What would you say? You know, I really wanted to say powerful, 
I, and I'm going to stick to that. The connotation is, the connotation might sound bad, but I have really worked, <laughs> there's a lot of therapy, trust me, but I've been working on really, st- I'm so serious. I'm very open about that. I don't mind that. It, it's very, it's been a journey for me to really step into myself. There's somebody on my team who often tells me I, I do a lot of kind of self-deprecating humor and things like that. And, and they've tried to check me on that constantly. And I've started to really have to own my influence the power I can often wield unintentionally sometimes over folks or decisions and how they're made, even just by my facial expressions, notice, but even just walking into a room and really feeling like I own it. Because for a long time, I didn't feel that way. And I I Mm. felt like I had to shrink to the other side of the room or that I was never going to be noticed. And don't get me wrong, there are still times when I'm not included in certain meetings or not included in certain decisions and I get heated about it, trust and believe. But I think I've learned to really step up and speak for myself, speak for other folks and say, no, I'm a powerful individual. I know what I bring to the table. I know my skill set. I'm very good at my job. I'm very good at what I do. I'm very good at this. I'm not good at most things, but I'm very good at my job. (laughs) So so it's like, I don't want anybody to ever question that. So I've really started to own that. So powerful is is my word. I'm giving you these long-winded answers, but even as I'm talking this out, I'm like, oh, this is so cathartic. So really talk yes. about it. So, yes, yes. <laughs> need more more and, unstoppable sessions with Cynthia Barnes. I need this week. Yes, <laughs> yes. And I'll have you know that the only reason I'm guessing from from what I know about you, the only reason that you are not invited to meetings is because you will steal the show. <laughs> I, you know, that might not be wrong. <laughs> that might not be wrong. <laughs> Receive that in the intention in which was given, but someone told me that. And they said, Cynthia, could you, could you, could it be that you're not invited to speak or this or that because of your presence? And that was a total mind shift for me. So I'm going to invite you to challenge the thinking and to accept the fact, or at least think about the fact that because you are so powerful and impactful, that the reason you may be omitted from invitations is because of someone else's not wanting to be overshadowed, jealousy, Mm. or just simply because you are this stuff. (laughs) She can't can't say what she really wanted to say on here, right? You know, I can't, I can't. (laughs) (laughs) You know what I really wanted to say. I I got it, I got it. Yeah, but but that's what it's about. It's it's not about us. It's about someone else. I was um, interviewing for a job once and this lady, I, I closed her at the end and I said, so can you think of any reason why I wouldn't be an asset to the team? And she said, nope, I think you could be great. And I said, great. Um, she said, but I don't think that we as a team can keep up with you. Oh. That's exactly what I said. So I went home, kind of teary-eyed, and I said, mama, what did she mean? Why didn't she want to hire me? I, she said I was great. And she said to me, my mother said, Cynthia, A managers hire A employees. B managers hire C employees. Mm. So don't you Mm. dare dim your light so that others can shine more brightly. Yes. 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 As you were saying that, I was was reflecting on just your your previous comment of of even walking into a room and I'm like, well, am am I loud or are you low? I don't know. Like maybe... (laughs) (laughs) You should speak up. 
like, exactly. I want you to speak up. Like, so I, you yeah. know, it's, it's interesting to really think of it that way from that perspective, because I think, you know, for a long, we're often taught not to, not to do that. We're often taught to yeah. really be careful. Kind of, I don't want to say walk on eggshells, but really to tread lightly, mm-hmm. particularly yeah. in corporate spaces, yes. anywhere as we're seeing in the world these days, but particularly in corporate spaces because of the perception of being a threat somehow, mm-hmm. some way which then hinders any other success in the organization. You have to play the corporate game. You have to play whatever game it is in order for you to advance in the org. And mm-hmm. I really just don't, I don't like that. I, and I think people probably have blend much of their chagrin know already. I really don't, I don't subscribe to that. I, I let you know exactly how I feel when, <laughs> around, about anything at a given point in time. I don't, I'm very direct in my communication mm-hmm. and I don't, I don't like the idea of people having to question or think about or, or ponder what I'm feeling or thinking about something. It's like, if you, if you want to know, you could just ask. I'm, yes. I'm happy to volunteer the information, but you could just ask. I don't think people should, should walk around that way with me. So, but again, it's, it's still that, that notion of, oh, well, I, I could really own something very quickly if, <laughs> by doing that. Sometimes I, I do have to be somewhat careful, but I don't want to, as you said, dim my light necessarily. I'm a work in progress. Okay. I'm a work in progress. We all are. We all are. And it's a day by day. It's progress, not perfection. But that's refreshing to know that when someone comes to you, they're going to get you, the authentic you. And I think that you've built a culture and along with your leadership of enabling your team to show up authentically as their true selves without having to worry about putting on that facade because there's so many people that I talk to, they say, when I go to work, I am one person. When I'm at home, I'm another person. And so many corporate cultures subscribe to that and promote that. Yeah. Yeah. So when you talk to someone that is thinking of coming to work at your organization, what one thing are you most proud of? It's actually just what you said, the authenticity. That's the one thing that is a constant. Whenever we, you know, when we shifted, when the pandemic happened, we shifted to weekly all hands. And what was really great was that we were hiring nonstop, still are, you know, hiring nonstop. And so we have these large new hire classes every Friday coming in and introducing themselves on this all hands call with 400 plus people saying hello. Um, until, until we grew to 800 and that was a thing. But <laughs> but doing that and the constant refrain was, I joined because of the people. I joined because of the culture. Everyone treated me from day one outreach before I, when I wasn't even considering a job at Blinn. When I didn't even know what, when I still thought y'all were a cannabis company, right? Back then, <laughs> like, you know, that outreach, even from the recruiter was so real to me. It wasn't transactional. And when I got on site and did the interview, everybody I spoke to treated me this way, treated me so kindly, went out of their way to do anything. And that was actually something we were very fearful of losing when we went fully remote for a while. Because, you know, when you step into the office, it's an experience at Lynn. Yes. It's just, it, it's, it's a feeling you sense. And people really were going out of that. I remember when I interviewed, people were going out of their way to give me everything. I was like, I've never been so caffeinated in my life. Everybody offered me <laughs> coffee, 10 million types of teas, all the types of, I mean, everything. They knew I didn't work there, but they just knew there was a guest. And, you know, going, thinking of as a Southerner, you know how you treat your, your guests, right? Yes, you can do anything yes. for them. And so, and so that's the feeling, that's the culture. That's what I'm proud of. 
I think it, though we may keep trying to, to codify it and write it down in all these ways and you know, really be prescriptive about what blends culture is, we can't do that. And I tell people all the time, this culture is almost indescribable. It's yeah. almost indescribable because I've never been somewhere that allows people to be so authentically themselves, so authentically themselves and to show up for other people in a way that makes I, I don't know. It just makes the world go. Right. It, it's just it's an amazing feeling, I have to say. And so I, I hope that even well after I'm gone, you know, that that's something that this organization maintains. And I, I hope that we don't as a company take that for granted, because that takes a lot to build. And people mm -hmm. are our best asset by far. We make yes. no greater an organization makes no greater investment than in its people. And I think that if we continue to make this investment in our talent, if we continue to invest in building these wonderfully diverse teams who are just brilliant beyond belief, I have to say, you work with a ton of smart people here. It's quite humbling, actually. Uh, <laughs> like, oh, I definitely don't know this, but you're learning constantly. And I just think that the dynamic, the interaction that we have at the organization is, is, is so different. I gosh, it sounds like I'm describing a cult, but I promise it's actually just <laughs> a really great place to work. I sound like I'm, I really drank the Kool-Aid here, but it, you know they're a really great place to work. It, it's I can't say enough positive things about the people at Blend. I, I really can't. When I first stepped onto into the San Francisco office, I've lived a lot of places, and I have been in some places that are a little rougher than like Detroit, and yeah. then some places that are not like Portland, Oregon. Living all those places kind of makes you aware and hyper aware of people. So sometimes I walk into a place like I did with Blend and everyone was so nice. And I immediately thought, why? <laughs> it was like suspiciously nice. Like, why are you? Because I couldn't turn without someone saying, can I help you find something? Do you need this? Are you looking for someone? And I'm thinking, hmm. <laughs> but you're right. Everyone was so incredibly helpful and it was not just lip service it was genuine let yeah. me go and find this person not just hop on a phone and find them yeah. so so you're right it, the culture is amazing and the people that i talk to that work for blend say the same thing good good they say the same thing yes and and we are proud at nawsp to partner with you and we're, we're just proud because you you walk the walk not just talk the talk and i'm grateful for that Absolutely. And we are sincerely grateful, grateful for your partnership as well. Sincerely grateful. Yes. And I promise we will we will do more events yes. post-pandemic. I promise. Please, please <laughs> let me know. I'm, I'm, I've got a passport that is just collecting dust. So yeah. if we want to go overseas or let me use all these Delta e-credits that yes. I've got banked up. Yes. yes. Wherever. Let me know. Let me know. So as you know, the, the title of the podcast is Unstoppable. And if you think about the greatest adversity that you've ever overcome, what comes to mind? Oh, oh, that heck, it's deep, deep. You know, I, I will say my younger years, my childhood, not all of it, but early childhood years, there was a lot of abuse in my family. And I'm very grateful that my mother found the strength to leave. I will never forget the day she showed up. It's, I have very vivid memories of my childhood. I was telling somebody this the other day, and I don't know why, but even I was, I was three years old, and I remember the day she showed up to Little Treasures Preschool, which is where I was, in her 
Ford Escort. Y'all remember Ford Escort back in the day? We were broke, okay? Like, like a white Ford Escort packed to the brim, filled to the brim with whatever she could carry, whatever she could carry. I remember my sister and I sat on top of a bunch of stuff in the back seat, and we drove eight hours from Alabama to Jacksonville, Florida. All I knew is I woke up, and I was in a different place, and I had a different life. And that, for me, though it's her journey, but I was there with her and I think that just I have I've been fortunate enough to not have a ton of really terrible things happen to me in my life outside of outside of those years my you know my dad is not a, a great person to me has never been a great person to me but at the same time I'm I'm actually very grateful for that because it showed me exactly who I did not want to be it showed mm-hmm. me that it showed me how I never wanted to treat people and and the feeling that I never wanted people to have ever from interacting with me. Mm-hmm. Even if we argue and disagree, there's a that's a separate thing than than the awful dehumanizing feeling that I had from interactions with him. And so honestly, I am my biggest barrier because there is a lot of hurt, I admit, that I, I hold on to. I don't know if anybody watches Divorce Court. I used to watch Divorce Court, not not the the latest iteration, but with even with Judge Lynn Toller. Judge Lynn Toller was amazing, and her life lessons that she would drop were just so like, oh, I love a good nugget now. And she said something that really impacted me and made me kind of reshape how I was approaching people because she talked about people being error hoarders, meaning that we not we don't hold a grudge. Right. It's beyond that. It's we collect. We collect these small mistakes. It's almost confirmation bias. After a while, people kind of treat you certain ways and you just collect these errors and mistakes that these people have or they these these kind of slights that they get at you. And it gets to a point where you're like, I don't even like the way this person breathes in my present. They do it wrong. Mm. Right. And I, I learned for a long time I was really holding on to a lot of errors from other people because I saw similar behaviors. And I'm just like, I can't have that in my life. I can't have that person in my life. I can't do that. And and it, But it's also kept me from really, at some point, creating really genuine and sincere relationships with people or really letting my guard down, I will say that, mm-hmm. and being more trusting of people. So it's this interesting juxtaposition with my belief system that I, I don't believe people are inherently bad. I've already made that clear. But at the same time, I still was finding it very hard to trust people. And so I, that's something I still try to overcome. And so it's... it's you know, that history of abuse, like, I'm, I don't think I'm over it, right? There's still that adversity, mm-hmm. that, that adversity is still there for me. But like I said, I'm a work in progress, I'm developing, I certainly have many, many flaws. But honestly, I think that's what me bringing that to the work I do, is what I think makes this work so successful. Because people see that there is this flawed person who is still working for the greater good, and who's not only working on improvement of himself, but it's also working to make sure others are finding that fulfillment, that joy, right? And they're able to do that at work in a way that makes sense for them in order for them to be successful too. So I, I, at least I hope that's what people feel are, are getting that from me. Shady though I may be sometimes, so. <laughs> well, I would not classify you as shady in the least, and I'm gonna denounce that. <laughs> I think that your past adversity, and I don't know a lot about it, but I know that it leads to the man that you are. And the man that you are, I hold in high regard. I respect. 
and I could go on and on about the things that I think about you. I am glad that you went through those situations because they lend depth to who you are and the impact that you're making because you're not only impacting your teammates, but they go home and they impact their family and then their family impacts others. It's a trickle down effect and you impact so many people's lives in such a positive way that it's amazing. It is amazing. So I, I want to thank you for being on my show. Thank you for being unstoppable. Thank you for being that beacon of light in my day. And I know that others are going to be blessed by listening to you today. And I know that your team at Blend loves you. They may not say it. They may say, you know what? Have careful. Yeah. Here he comes. <laughs> Few of those, few of those. <laughs> <laughs> but they will always get the authentic you. And, and that is a blessing. That is a blessing. So always is there anything you. that I should have asked or you wanted me to ask that I didn't? Oh, that's that's rough. I don't I don't know. That's <laughs> that's a tough question. I, I don't like talking about me. It's hard to say. It, it's really hard for me to say to answer that question, I have to admit. I, I, I think you you maybe didn't intend to, but you, you certainly provoked me sharing a lot of stuff. So I, I don't I don't know if we missed anything. I mean if we had another hour, I'm sure we could go deep on a lot of <laughs> a lot of stuff. But I don't think you missed anything for this first session. Okay. Well you know what? <laughs> Next time you come back we'll have Michelle and Barack. We'll have Oprah, yes. Gail and Stedman and also Cornell uh Woodson. Do you know him? Yes, Cornell Woodson is one of my best friends. He's about yes. to be yes, he's about to be on the show in a couple of weeks. Yes. So you can't have both of us on the show together. You, I don't know. I don't know how that's going to be. <laughs> you know, we're about to do a round table. I'm about to reach out to him and say, you know what? You from Headspace, Cornell, and you from Blend, Ulysses, we're about to have this round table. We'll get one more person, anybody you recommend, and we will have a round table discussion. Ty McRae. Ty McRae. Okay. Dr. Ty McRae. We are, the three of us are an unstoppable force. I don't know if the people are ready. I really don't you know. You know what? It doesn't matter because we're ready. <laughs> well, they're, they're, they're going to learn today. I know that. That's what's going to happen. Show up and show out. Yes. Yes. Mr. Smith, I cannot thank you enough for the, the sunshine that you have brought to my day. Thank you so much. Thank you for the work that you're doing at Blend. Thank you for being a valued partner of NAWSP. And I'm going to drop some show notes in the description of how they can get a hold of you. But for right now, what's the best way? Because I know people are going to want to be in your space even more. You know, LinkedIn is probably the best way to reach me. You know, okay. my, my LinkedIn account, I'm just Ulysses Smith. It's, it's, there's not too many of us, so it's not, <laughs> not terribly hard to find. And there's a great retouched picture, so you'll know exactly who it is. But please just... If you want to send me, if you want, I'm grateful for the retouching. If you want to send me, drop me a quick message. I'm always, I, sometimes I'm delayed, but I'm, I do typically respond to everybody. Um, it's fabulous. always happy to have a conversation with people. Always happy to. Yes. Fabulous. And I know that you are constantly hiring over at Blend. For those Absolutely. that want to be in your space eight to five or nine to five, where can they find out about opportunities? Flexible work hours, I promise. But you can always check out the careers page uh, on blend on blend.com to to see all of our open and available roles. We are hiring nonstop, especially in the go-to-market 
functions. So if you're looking for roles in sales or customer success or business development, there are plenty of open roles. We have a ton of relationship manager roles open, but there's no shortage of other roles that people can check out. So I, I highly encourage people to, to take a look at those roles. And if they're curious, they can also check out our diversity, inclusion, and belonging page so they can get a better idea of our workforce data, of our current workforce makeup, so people can see what what's the team that they're joining. Most people, I'm actually very proud to say that 40% of our of our sales team in particular, reporting to Ian Hopping, is 40% women or non-binary, trans or non-binary folks. That's unheard of in most other unheard organizations. Of. Unheard of. But again, it's because of intentional partnerships like this yes. one. It's because of intentional recruiting that we do. So if people are interested in joining that blend team, please do check out the careers page. Get in touch with me. Drop me a line. And I'm always happy to always happy to help you out. Yes, absolutely. I encourage everyone, go where you are celebrated, not where you are tolerated. And you'll Hello. definitely be celebrated at Blend. Hello, definitely. somebody. Oh, that's a somebody. t-shirt. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. Okay, sir. I'm going to let you get back to your day. Thank you so much for your time and your energy and for pouring into us. I can't wait for the next one with Ty Cornell and Ulysses. Thank you so much. We'll talk soon. All right. Thank you, Cynthia. Take care. Thank you. Thank you.